Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, the 22nd of October. I'm Tom Tilley, and today we're going to take you on an American road trip through Trump territory. As soon as I got over the border, you could feel the mood change. It becomes much more Trumpy. You, you see signs everywhere for, for Trump and Pence. You see kind of roadside stands selling Trump gear, flags, even uh, even Trump masks. Yeah, sounds pretty fascinating. Jan Fram, would you go on a road trip through the US at the moment? Oh, would I go at the moment? You know what? I actually had a grand plan at the end of last year to be in the US at this time because I wanted to be there in the lead up to the election. But I just, I don't know how I'd go with COVID and just all of the madness there right now. Look, the short answer is probably yes. <laughs> I'd do it. <laughs> well, you can keep thinking about it and hear about it in this interview we've got coming up. Um, it's a COVID safe way of sort of travelling through the US through your headphones. <laughs> First, let's get into the big news of the day. There are fears that someone who went to one of Australia's biggest car races last weekend has COVID without knowing it. Yeah, we're talking about the Bathurst 1000, which ran from Thursday to Sunday. Uh, New South Wales health officials want anyone who went to watch for symptoms after the virus was picked up in local sewerage. God bless the people doing that job. They're doing God's work. Yeah. Uh, 4,000 spectators watched each day. This is instead of the usual 50,000, so big drop there. There were also supercar drivers and support crew from Victoria and Queensland. Yeah, and staying in New South Wales, um, there's some even more relaxed restrictions. Yeah, New South Wales has relaxed restrictions for places of worship and gyms. So from tomorrow, the number of those at religious gatherings goes up from 100 to 300. Apparently after pressure from Brian Houston from Hillsong. Right, there you go. Uh, That's subject to the four square metre rule, however. Also, COVID safety marshals won't need to be in gyms anymore unless there is more than 20 people in the venue at one time, which, you know, I think is a welcome relief for 24-hour gyms when there's usually just one person in there. Australia's peak business body is seizing on a new report demanding a plan for domestic travel to start up again before Christmas. Yeah, the Ernest & Young research shows that our economy is continuing to lose a massive $319 million every single day because of local and international border closures. It also puts 34,000 jobs at risk. The Business Council of Australia wants uh, this to be top of the agenda for tomorrow's National Cabinet. I'm sure Scott Morrison wants it top of the agenda too. He has for about three months. Yeah, I feel like we've always wanted borders on the top of the agenda and I'm not surprised they're going to be there tomorrow as well. Yeah, so they will be meeting tomorrow after not meeting last week because the Prime Minister was stranded in Cairns. And couldn't get internet reception apparently in Cairns to join remotely, which... No NBN or... It's Cairns. It's not, you know, Timbuktu. And revelations that right-wing extremists have run a targeted campaign against Sharon Strzelecki. Sharon! Yeah, along with several other well-known celebrities, Magda Zabanski did a Victorian government ad as Sharon from Kath and Kim, encouraging Victorians to follow the lockdown rules. I tell you what, I am so over this lockdown. But you know what? It's not the lockdown that's the enemy. It's the virus And the sooner we obey the rules, the sooner this will all be over and we can get back to the stuff that really matters. E-Safety Commissioner Julie Inman-Grant says that Magda Sabansky was part of what she called a volumetric attack by extremists and conspiracy theorists. Um, That basically means that there was a plan to create this avalanche of hate on multiple platforms. 
Uh, she says that these attacks are happening more often, usually to women and other marginalised groups as well. Yeah, and a few of the celebrities involved copped a fair bit of heat for this online. There was Shane Jacobson, um, best known in his um, role, Kenny, um, Nazim Hussain, Walid Ali and footballer Taylor Harris. Yeah, it seemed that Magda copped a particular amount of trolling though and it's unfortunate that it's been found to have been a volumetric attack, which is a word that I don't really want to hear anymore. And Pope Francis is once again pushing the envelope of the Catholic Church. Yeah, he's come out and he's made a well, he's made a relatively progressive statement, I suppose, for an 83-year-old leader of the Catholic Church mm. anyway, uh, saying that LGBTQI people should be allowed civil unions. Yeah, this is in a new documentary about him called Francesco. Um, it's the first time the leader of the Catholic Church has come out in favour of same-sex civil unions. Yeah, he's also suggested that COVID... Uh, could be nature's way of responding to humans ignoring climate change. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, I'm sure the Pope has many interesting theories. <laughs> All right, Jam, we'll catch you tomorrow. In a moment, Annika joins us for a bit of a road trip. Now imagine taking a big US road trip with no chance of getting COVID. Well, you're sort of going to do that now. From the safety of your headphones, we're going to take you to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Iowa and Illinois. Here in Australia, where we watch America through the media, news, TV and movies, we get a very New York, Washington and California perspective on the US. But these states up in the mid-northeast offer a very different view. Yeah, almost all of these states voted for Trump in 2016 And some of them were crucial to his victory because they were expected to go the other way. So understanding these Americans in these states will be crucial to help you understand the result that we'll see unfold in just two weeks now. Aussie journo Jacob Grieber has done a 4,000-kilometre road trip through these states. Now, that's the equivalent of Perth to Brisbane. He's the Washington correspondent for the Australian Financial Review newspaper. Jacob, thanks for joining us. Why did you feel the need to get out of Washington, D.C.? Do you know, it, Washington, D.C. is a bit like living in Canberra. There's a sort of sameness to, to how people see the world. I'm not having a go at Canberra or Washington, <laughs> but it's just... It's a real Democrat sort of town, and so is the neighbourhood in Maryland and Virginia, perhaps more, sort of less so, but it's becoming more Democrat. So because the pandemic has made travel kind of limited for most people and most journos, it was it's even more important this year to get out and to get out of that sort of bubble, for want of a better term. And, and the good thing is you don't actually have to travel that far to find a totally different America to what you'd expect in D.C., which is a real government town, lots of bureaucrats, lots of lobbyists. Uh, and they, they sort of don't really reflect the views of a lot of Americans once you get out of that famous, that's where the term beltway comes from. So once you get out of that, um, it's a really different scene. Yeah, so you went on a wild trip, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Wisconsin. You started by heading north into Pennsylvania. How quickly did it get interesting and who did you meet on the road and what was it like there? Pennsylvania is a is a really diverse state. It's not that big, but it's probably got like a population dissimilar to Victoria's, maybe maybe half the size. But you've got big cities like Philadelphia, which are kind of progressive, very Democrat, very suburban. And so those suburban rings used to be really Republican, but they've become more Democrat over the decades. You've got Pittsburgh at one end, 
which is the old industrial sort of city. You got Philadelphia at the other, and people often say you got Alabama in between. You know, you got, you got really rural. A um, lot of working class, a lot of people uh, without university educations. And so that makes for a really tough electorate to, to campaign in because you have to appeal to a sort of middle uh, to win that state. And it's important this time around because it's so close and Trump won it over Hillary Clinton four years ago by a really small margin, um, something like 10,000 votes, which is is the closest uh, presidential margin for the state, basically in its entire history. So as soon as I got over the border from Maryland, you could feel the mood change. Uh, it becomes much more Trumpy. You you see signs everywhere for for Trump and Pence. You see kind of roadside stands selling Trump Trump gear, flags, even uh, even Trump masks. Although I don't know too many of them are wearing them these days because that's a political thing over here as well. But you 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 just instantly get this different mood and a different way of looking at the world. If you were to ask me what's the number one thing that that jumps out when you ask people why they support Trump, it almost always comes down to to the abortion issue. If they tell you they are pro-life, you you basically know they're Trump voters and they're locked on and they'll forgive him for pretty much any other atrocity. That's what motivates them more than anything else. Is that really about abortion or does that symbolise something else about their worldview? Oh, there's something to that. I think part of it is that that kind of voter doesn't like being told how to think or why they're wrong or stupid or or don't have a clue, which is which is often how they feel when they listen to, you know, what they now call elites or the fake media, uh, whether it's, you know, CNN, uh, MSNBC or whoever else it might be over here. There's a sort or the or the New York Times or the Washington Post. There's a real kind of People get really wound up about that because they think those they see those papers as really representing the sort of inner city East Coast elite, uh, which is a much more worldly, cosmopolitan sort of view of the world, much more immigration focused. Whereas this is these are a lot of the old sort of working class areas. And what's interesting about about a lot of these voters is they used to vote for Democrats for decades and decades. They were Democrat supporters. Um, they call them yellow dog Democrats up in Pennsylvania because basically you could put a yellow dog up on the ballot and it'd still win. Hmm. Um, but Trump's Trump's success four years ago was that he flipped those voters and it was partly because Hillary was seen to have been taking them for granted. She didn't, she didn't travel there as much as he did and she wasn't talking about the things that wind those people up or that they want. And and if you, if you were to generalise, it's it's the abortion issue, it's access to guns, and it's it's sort of anti-trade in the sense that China, especially, but other parts of the world have stolen all their jobs. So you, Trump Trump really just hit that very effectively, and they were ripe for a change. They were they felt the Democrats had. You know, had said they would listen to those concerns, but basically hadn't for decades, in fact. That's something I wanted to ask you about, Jacob, that shifting of traditional political allegiances. We almost see it here, too, in regional Queensland. Uh, workers who may have once voted Labor, perhaps going to not only the Liberal Party, but maybe even One Nation. I wanted to know whether you think this sort of change in, in a more working class voter going towards Trump, whether that is a, a Trump-specific issue, or do you think you know, will we resettle back to the normal sort of uh, characteristics of voters after this election? Is it something specifically unique to Trump? 
I think you would find Pennsylvania, parts of Michigan, parts of Wisconsin, and some of these other places I travelled through, Annika, you would find them really familiar. You would find yourself going, wow, that's a bit like Gladstone in the 2019 election. That that real, or you know, that sort of central Queensland coast area that turned its back on Labor in a sense, and and yeah, went to Clive Palmer and some of the other further right parties. And I and I think it's exactly the same set of issues. You wrote this line and you said, as you drive away from the town halls and downtown coffee shops through the smart older suburbs, the houses become less cared for and eventually you hit the scrappier back blocks. And it's at that point that, you know, you're in Trump territory. Is it that simple that, you know, we have a real inner city lefty Democrat vote versus a rural or poorer suburban area who are pro-Trump? Is it that black and white? I reckon it is when you look at the flags. I mean, there's always exceptions. You find you find Biden Democrat supporters out in the country in the regional areas, and you find Trump supporters in the inner city. The danger for Trump, and this is where he'll lose, probably. I suspect if he loses, this is where he'll lose. It's it's that sort of suburban ring. Um, I guess we call them the mortgage belt. Maybe you know around that ring around Sydney, or the ring around Brisbane. Mm. Those are not necessarily left-wing voters. They're kind of they're kind of economically conservative voters. Mm. Trump has sort of lost them, especially women, and you could see that. So, I think it's not quite as simple as I may have sort of suggested it, but but there is a shifting sort of um, allegiance going on there, and, and and you can hear it in the way Trump sort of says. Just the other day, he was sort of pleading, saying, "You know, well, I've done all this stuff I've done for you, suburban women. Will you please like me?" You know, like he doesn't hide. He never hides. He's uh, he'd be a terrible poker player, but because <laughs> what he says is what you. He's, <laughs> that's what he's thinking right now. But he's he knows he knows if he doesn't get those suburban women and some of those suburban voters who are probably on paper, they would be old school Republicans or you know liberal voters in in the Australian context. But the Democrats, with with Biden in particular, Biden's able to sort of pitch himself as a moderate. As he said himself, you know, do I look like a, a radical socialist who wants to, um, you know, defund the police? And and people in America know Biden. They've he's been around forever, and they know he's not that guy. Biden's quite a, comes from quite a sort of conservative, straight up and down background. Uh, he's of those suburbs, so that's where Trump's sort of having a bit of trouble this time round. Now, Trump's not doing too well in the polls. Do we even believe polls anymore? But one, I want to know, Jacob, do you still think he can win? And is there an element of that shy Toryism or shy Trumpism that people pretend they don't like Trump, but when they get in there might actually vote for him? There are some signs it's there. So two things. If the polls are as wrong as they were last time, then he can just get there kind of thing. So some of the pollsters have taken to, well, one of them in particular started asking, this is to get around this shy voter problem. They say to the person, right, so you're, you know, you say you vote for Trump or you say you vote for Biden, but, um, you know, you might be lying to me. What do you think your neighbours are going to vote? Who do you think your neighbours are going to vote? And when they ask that question, Biden comes out in front in some areas, which is unexpected, and then Trump comes out in front in some other areas. There is a hidden vote. So can he win? Can Trump win? Sure, sure, sure he can win. And this week's going to be huge because he's basically got one chance, I think, left to turn to turn things around and bring bring those numbers up, bring that polling just a little bit closer and it's the final debate, which will be on Friday, uh, I guess Friday late morning your time in uh, on the east coast of Australia there. The, the first debate was just such a debacle 
with with both candidates kind of talking over the top of each other, I think it ended up backfiring on Trump because he was just seen as boorish and 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 overbearing and and a bit of a sort of bully. It didn't sort of uh, bode well for democracy in America. It just looked ugly, which is kind of where American democracy is at the moment. So Trump has to this week just let Biden maybe you know hang himself rather than try and do it. And all Trump has to do is talk about the economy and what what Biden might do for the economy. I think Trump has a good story there. As soon as he inter- interjects or pushes over the top of Biden, uh, Biden gets away with it. That's what happened in the first debate. So yeah, Trump needs to do that with the debates. He's he's campaigning frenetically, like he's he's going nonstop at the moment, and that's a big contrast to Biden, who's for the last two days has basically disappeared to go and prepare for the debate. A lot of people don't turn their mind to it like us months out, do they? They start thinking about it only... They have a life. At least they have a life, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, especially when it all comes down to voter turnout in America as well. To win an election in America, you have to convince your people to get out and vote. And then a lot of it is actually suppressing your other side's supporters. And what's going to be really interesting about this election, all the signs are pointing to an absolute record turnout. I think it'll probably blow the, the sort of historical reference off the chart. This will be this will be big. And both sides are super motivated. That's why, yeah, there still is a way for Trump to win. That was Jacob Grieber from the Australian Financial Review who managed a 4,000k road trip through the US without getting COVID. So, Annika, after hearing that, uh, who do you think is going to win the election? Oh, look, everybody's writing off Donald Trump after what happened last time. I just can't. I'm not almost game to say he's going to win, but I definitely think he's in with the chance. This idea that it's just going to be all Biden and all blue on election day, I don't think that's going to happen. What about you? Yeah, I can't quite decide. I think it's going to be fairly close. Um, I'll probably just lean towards predicting a Biden victory. I think Trump's lost a lot of older voters because of his response to COVID. And I think Biden being a more centralist, conservative Democrat figure compared to, I guess, some of the other people in the party means that he'll win back some of the centre as well. So if he wins, that would be why. Guess it depends how many people get out on election day. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, we'll explain the Gladys Berejiklian dodgy boyfriend scandal. A podcast one production.